Welcome to the Talking Gardens podcast with me, Stephanie Mahan, editor of Gardens Illustrated. My guest this episode is Tamsin Westhorpe, garden writer, horticulturist, Chelsea Flower Show judge, lecturer and director of Stocktonbury Gardens, host of the Fresh from the Pod podcast, former chair of the Garden Media Guild and author of books including Diary of a Modern Country Gardener. I caught up with her at her home in Herefordshire to ask about her dream garden. Hi, Tamsin. Hello, Steph. Lovely to see you. You too. Okay, so I think we're going to have to come clean here with full disclosure that we're mates. Yes, we are. We've known each other for a fair few years. We don't want to count them. (laughs) But we are here to find out about your dream garden. Oh, that yes. Well, I um, love a good dream. I've got many ideas that uh, I've got ready for you. So, (laughs) well, if we start with a place, a garden, maybe that you would find as inspiration for your dream garden? Where's the first place you would think of? That's quite easy. When I was at primary school, we lived in Surrey and there was a garden called Van, which is very well known. It belongs to the Caro family and has belonged to them for many, many moons. And uh, I was friends with Ruth Caro and we would help her mum set up the garden for NGS days and it was just so exciting putting the yellow signs out we used to take the money on the gate and this garden and house is so dreamy part of the garden was created by Gertrude Schiekel and it was actually featured in Howard's End which one which Um, Howard's End the the actual one with um like the merchant ivory one Oh, and now you're getting me. Now, who was in it? Who was in it? Hel- Helena Bonham Carter? Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. it. Um, so it's just the most incredible house and garden and to be able to play there. And I think what was so wonderful is the Caros, obviously fantastic gardeners, but it was a home and it was relaxed and it was real. So that made a massive imprint on me. And so it was sort of an arts and crafts style garden, yes. I believe. Is that right? Yes. And there was a beautiful water garden. I do remember areas of the lawn that weren't mown, that were wildflower meadows. So it sort of, I'm dying to go back. I must go back. It is open for the NGS still, but I haven't been back for, gosh, oh, might be 30 years now, more. So I, I really do need to revisit that, but it remains with me as inspiration, as just a happy place. And so what element of that would you pull into your fantasy garden? What is it about the place that you think there's an essence of something there that I want? I love a place that is is lived in. So, for example, I love a country house where someone's kicked a slipper off and damaged a portrait. You know, I love the fact that things are rough and tumble. There's wellies by the door. I love, I, I like modern gardens. I can appreciate them, but for actually living in them, and you know my old house. Um, yes, we're in, creaks your, we're in and, your sitting room right now. Yeah, and and uh, I've just been hearing about um, somebody telling you that they think it's haunted. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's part of the course here. We had an engineer come to fix the Wi-Fi and he said, there's spirits in the house. He was rather uh, disturbed by it. But no, I I can confirm. I've never come across anything here. But I, I just that sense of history... And that's really hard to create with a new garden. So I'm very much attached to old, crumbly, not quite working, but magical. You know, I wouldn't mind meeting a nice ghost around my dream garden, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) I know what you mean about that lived-in feel. There's something when you 
when you visit a lot of gardens or when you, to be honest, like have to judge gardens to see, mm. let's say, if they're going to go in a publication like Gardens Illustrated. But you can visit lots of places, but somewhere that I remember when we used to work together and I was starting to write about gardening and I went to visit a couple in West Wales and I thought that their garden, you know, not everything in it was to my personal taste, but they loved it so much. Yeah. And their love came through and it was so such a wonderful atmosphere and a lovely place to visit. And I've never forgotten it because of it was like their garden, their character came through. They had so much love for it and they spent so much time in it. They had so much passion for it. And you kind of can't resist when you go to a place and you feel that emotion. Exactly. And another garden actually that I went to that isn't open anymore is Brian's Ground. So that's in just in Hereford or maybe in the Welsh border, just on the edge. And that has the same feel. And you would look, you desperately want to look through the windows into the house. Be nosy. Yeah. And you know, they've got lots of lovely old books and pottery and yeah, that, that is a stunning garden. Um, uh, it's it, like I say, it's no longer open, but yeah, it's just got a past and you want to know about everybody that was, had lived there and made their, put their footprint on the site. Yeah. So Van and Surrey, gorgeous. A little bit of that love and old rickety characterfulness. Yes. Okay. So then if you had to pick a place, a setting, maybe a landscape for your dream garden. Okay, now this is quite quirky. Um, I loved watching the Durrells on TV. The TV show. So that was like 2016. And just the the placement of that house, looking out over the ocean. I do, I'm a country girl, but I do love to see the sea. And that house was crumbling down with shutters falling off and old gnarled grapevines and the odd goat running through. That, I mean, what a fantastic setting. I think it's Corfu, isn't that right? Yeah, it is in Corfu. It's privately owned, so I don't think you can go there. But whoever found that for that movie, I mean, who would not want to live there? Um, yeah, that that absolutely ticks all the boxes for me. To be on a sort of sunny Greek clifftop beach. Yeah, with all the animals. Yeah. The ducks, the snakes or whatever that was collected. I'd be quite happy with that. You used to have ducks yourself, didn't you? I, I think I've had pretty much every animal that you can have. Um, I'm now whittled it down to one border terrier. But horses haven't had goats because I know if they get into the garden, mm, that's that's game over. Yeah. But yeah, my mother was a great poultry fan. So we've, we've had everything here at one time or another. And what happened to the ducks? Oh, the duck, the fox. Mm. Yeah. So poultry, I, I don't keep poultry anymore because it's just too sad. I love to let them roam around the garden, mm. but, you know, you've got to be aware that the foxes, once they know where they are, mm. you are in trouble. I thought you had a batch that flew away as well, though, didn't you? Oh, ducks, we yeah. do, because we sort of inherited some wild ducks, but they've, yeah, they've moved on. <laughs> <laughs> and is there, in this gorgeous van-inspired garden, in the lovely Corfu setting, with the Greek sun beating down on you, is there a sort of design element or feature that you might have seen somewhere that you think, oh, yeah, 
I think I'd like a bit of that, please. Yeah. Well, if I was ever to be living in Corfu, this would be essential because I burn. I crash and burn. Um, so I love the porch at Great Dixter. Oh, yeah. You know, you can imagine just sitting there with a cup of tea in the, the midday when it's just far too hot to be doing anything else. Um, and it's just, you know, what an entrance to a property. All those incredible pots. Yeah, a porch would be fantastic. Keep your logs dry under it. Have your cup of tea under it. Kick your welly boots. I haven't got a porch here. So obviously there's been many days when my boots are filled with water. So yeah, definitely the Great Dixter porch. I'll have one of those, please. Yeah, a porch doesn't really do it justice, does it, as a phrase. We're not talking about, you know, that sort of little glass fronted entrance or the little cubby hole that you walk into when you first come to your house. We're talking about a timber framed sort of canopy extension over the front of the yeah. big door. Yeah. And, and like you say, all those beautiful container arrangements around yeah. that change several times a year, because I believe that the people who are studying their training there, Fergus Garrett just sort of gives them free reign to to experiment and try different things. Yeah. And I can imagine when you're in that porch looking out through all that foliage in high summer, I mean, it's just gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. It's probably more like a room in most people's houses, Steph, you're right, than a porch. <laughs> I think it's called the Great Porch, isn't it? So that's, yeah. yeah. And I think it's something about the colour of those containers as well the sort of colour scheme is, is quite bonkers a lot yeah. of the time around that front entrance too isn't it yeah I remember once meeting Christopher Lloyd he came to our family garden Stockton because he was very friendly with my uncles and I was where I was 16 I was wearing the most ghastly purple jumper it was hand knitted for me and he said to me I love your jumper and I thought weird and then I didn't realise who he was, didn't have any interest. And then, of course, I was told later who he was and was very annoyed I didn't sort of spend more time with him. Um, but I've still got that jumper <laughs> in a moth-proof bag in the bottom of my wardrobe because Christopher Lloyd liked it. I might show it to you later. Yeah, I really want to see this. In fact, we might even need to get a photograph of it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you're Because yeah, Christopher Lloyd liked my jumper. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. brilliant. It's still with me. Because <laughs> it, it mustn't have been that long after that, then, if you were 16, that you did decide to sort of embark on your, your garden career. Yeah, because I was living at Stocktonbury then. So, really, I'd always loved gardening, but never really thought of it as a career, Um, hadn't thought gosh could this be a job went to Hereford Art College didn't enjoy it so my grandfather sent me to work with his cousin who was John Treasure who was the clematis breeder and um, well known for his clematis ended up working with him and just loved it I thought this is brilliant felt very at home and just found found my destiny you know you're an art school dropout I think I am an art school dropout a lot of people wouldn't know that about you yes I wanted to do sculpture yes but I think no it wasn't the right time for me and I think gardening was obviously calling yeah so all good and where did you go from there then after your clematis well um spent a year there And then actually, Uncle John said, you need to go and get educated. People are always trying to educate me and I don't want to be. Um, So he suggested I went to Horticultural College. So I went to Sparshot in Winchester and I was there for four years with a year at Bournemouth Parks Department doing greenkeeping and parks gardening and, and loved that. Absolutely loved it. 
Parks Gardner as well. Yeah. There we go. We're adding to the list. Art school dropout. Yeah. Parks, Parks Gardner. Gardner. Greenkeeper. Greenkeeper. <laughs> yeah. Interior landscaper. Oh, you name it. I've tried it. So, yes, if you want to know what a certain aspect of horticulture is like, I'm your girl. <laughs> <laughs> You've done it all. I've done it all for a while. Yeah. Speaking of Christopher Lloyd and other personages of interest. Yeah. If you had to share your dream garden with a person or if you were going to have somebody famous as your gardener or a garden designer or to take okay. the money at the door for people, you know, who would you have? What's the, who's the person you would want to share this oh, dream garden gosh. with? Gosh, do you know, that's probably the hardest question because it depends what day of the week, really. <laughs> um, I'm fascinated by Vita Sackville-West. I think just her personality would be wonderful to get to grips with and just watch her work. The fact she was a writer and I love writing. Um, I just think her story is amazing. Whether I'd actually cope with working with someone like that is another another thing. But I do absolutely adore following um, Arthur Parkinson on Instagram. And I find his style is just so exciting. And it fits with my old and quirky kind of vibe. And obviously, he loves his poultry. He puts some wonderful pictures up of like sheets on a washing line. And that gets me excited. I love that. Of course, that would work in the Corfu garden. And he plants things in vast, great big urns that we've got at Stockton, be very similar things. And his use of colour is quite Christopher Lloydy, isn't it? You know. So, yeah, it would be good to have Arthur to dress my garden. I think that would be fun. Yeah, we've just had him on the podcast. Have you? Oh, right. Okay. So I need to I need to have a word with him and say, if this garden comes off, I wonder if you come work with me. (laughs) It'd be quite an interesting tea party in a dream garden to have Vita Sackville West and Arthur Parkinson. Well, I think so. I think you three would get on like a house. I think it would be really interesting that. Yeah, definitely. And if there were some plants, you know, are there is there sort of a, an object of your desire? Is there a group of plants that you just absolutely adore or that maybe you can't grow here or at Stocktonbury that you just think, oh yeah, I want more of those. I want them hanging from the rafters, but in this damp Herefordshire climate, it's just yeah. not really possible. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to go for succulents. I tend to use them as houseplants. But something like the aeoniums that were on Sarah Price's garden at Chelsea, I mean, who would not want one of those? But in Herefordshire, you could grow them, but you need to bring them in, obviously, as in most places. So I think succulents are underrated, underused, easy to grow if you've got the right growing environment. And they seem to cope well with our you know, drier summers. So that would be my pick. And they're great in pots tiny pots as well you don't need vast big pots so you can and you can move them around I've got one succulent I've moved it twice today already I tend to take plants with me around the house and also if I do a vase of flowers I keep moving it when I move from room to room it's a bit bonkers but so I'll have a vase of flowers outside if I've got someone coming didn't do that for you today I'm shocked which is not good Uh, especially in the winter if it's snowdrops I'll carry them around the house so I'll put them by the bath from in the bath and then by the bed I think that's a good tip for people yeah yeah so you just got the one because I don't like to pick too many snowdrops so I just take this little little bud vase I've got around around the house yeah because I mean it only lasts a few days right you might enjoy it every minute that you can yeah But I did discover, actually, that snowdrops, if you put a vase by your bed, 
the scent is quite overwhelming, you know, in a room at night. So I've had to move it onto the windowsill. So you don't notice it outside the scent. They are scented, but inside they can be quite wow. So what kind of planting do you think is your style not in your dream garden? What would you, how would you sort of characterize the kind of things that you do in your own garden? Right. So this is where I have a real, this is where I'm a Gemini. Okay. So being a parks gardener, I love a neat edge and I'm quite sort of ordered with my planting, but in my dream garden, I don't want it to be. I think there's a difference between creating a garden for other people to view and there's your own garden. So I think a very wild, relaxed garden is actually incredibly hard to look after. So something like Brian's Ground, I wandered around it blissfully happy thinking, I don't have to look after this. (laughs) But because I am a gardener and I look after a garden, I do see maintenance issues when I'm walking around places. And it would be lovely to be in a place that I just just stop looking at it as a job and just be there in the moment. So I am a bit awkward like that. So if you want a neat bedding scheme, I I can do that. But I really rather crave for the other if I'm not looking after it. So in my dream garden, I'd have someone like Arthur doing all the work and I would just be lounging around looking at it. So that would be that would be the way it would go, I think. I love how we're back there. He's like, yeah, he's he's basically just my gardener now. He has no idea. No, no. And if there were some little luxuries, some nice little extra things that you think would make life in your dream garden so much nicer to complete your your sort of scheme, what would you sort of decide what to have? What would they be? Okay, definitely a day bed outside. Um, I have a makeshift day bed that my husband made out of pallets for me when I broke my back a couple of years ago. I think you're going to have to explain yeah, so, breaking your back. Yeah, I fell of off a ladder ago. two well, years ago. What were you doing? Pruning. Jensen? You were pruning. And I should have had someone else there with me. Yes, you should have. Anyway, we all know what we should do. Um, so broke my spine and had to lie for 12 weeks. I, I could sit up and I could walk, but it was very good to have a bed in the garden. And I honestly think without that, my house is very old and dark. I don't think I'd have recovered so well. And I didn't have to watch daytime TV. I just watched the birds, the butterflies. Sounds all a bit romantic, but it really honestly was such a healer. And it was a beautiful late summer. So This um, was during sort of the end of COVID as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So a day bed would be a must. And also an outside shower. Oh, fancy. Now, there's two reasons for this. Mm -hmm. One is because I think it's brilliant if you've got privacy to wear what you like or not wear what you like in your own garden. And coming in from a day in the garden when it's been hot, wouldn't it be just wonderful? It would have to have a bit of hot water. I'm not that hardcore. You're not going for the freezing cold. I'm not going for the freezing cold. And the other reason is I have a teenage son who lives in the shower as I'm sure many mothers will will know this. And I have a very old house and the damp, uh, it, it's really hard for an old house to cope with our modern requirements of washing all the time. So I figure if I could chuck him out in the garden, it would solve the damp issue in the house and also be a rather nice quirky feature. Q. 
kill two birds with one stone. I see you're bringing it back to the practical here. Uh, yeah, well, uh, yeah, inevitable. Yeah, it's a wish. It's your desire to have this share. I mean, I get what you mean. It's sort of like that freedom, yeah. you know, of, of, you know, I think not being overlooked yeah. <laughs> is part of that too, yeah. isn't it? And just to, to be able to just, yeah, do whatever you want, even if that means... Yeah, and I think actually if you've got young kids, my son was always allowed to make mud baths and have water fights and and if you could just chuck them under an outside shower, Mm. wouldn't life be wonderful? Yeah. They'd never have to come in the house at all. Yeah. (laughs) But coming back to the daybed, I think I remember that Sigmund Freud might have had one of those as well when he was recovering from something. Well, they got to sit in the garden. So it's definitely you're yeah, in the lineage of people who enjoy those. It was quite scary when that happened to you. Yes, As I said, you were very mates, good and visit me, well, visited me with cake, I, I think. I think there was a lot of people very worried about you. Yeah. And I mean, I, that probably kills you because you're like, I don't want people to be thinking yeah. about me. Or I was the person that checked out of the hospital within a few hours. Yes. Because I thought, I oh, don't fancy being in here. But yeah, it. I mean, you can say there are aspects of gardening that are dangerous, but... What's made me well again is gardening. So it sort of swings and roundabouts. And um, I was told to go swimming, which I wasn't absolutely not going to do. I'm not going to go to the gym. I'm not going to do any of those things. But I did do a little bit of deadheading and then a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And that has got me going again. So really, I'm I'm fully recovered, which is which is absolutely wonderful. It and I put fantastic. that down to gardening. You never stop moving. Never. No. You never stop thinking. You're no. a very energetic person. Yeah. And I wondered, how was it for you just to be laid up for such a long period of time? I think what it did for me, I wrote a book while I was... Of course um, you did. Yeah, I wrote a book because I thought I can't do nothing. So that's just not an option. And I also did quite a lot of um, lecturing in Japan on Zoom. And uh, so I sat up in bed at about five o'clock in the morning talking to wonderful Japanese gardeners. And that was wonderful because I thought I can still do something. But I think what it did for me was make me made me realise how awful it is not to be able to garden. Because when people visit our garden, they may be elderly and may say to me, oh, I'm struggling with the garden or I've had to downsize. And I would have gone, oh, gosh, that's terribly sad. Can you not get someone in to do this? And what you realise is actually it's more than sad. It's tragic. And the fact that people have to leave their homes because the gardens run away with them. And when you have an injury like I had, you genuinely can't do a thing. You know, people will say, well, maybe you could do some propagating. Well, I can't even lift the bag of compost up. So that was a real shock to me that what people do and actually how remarkable some people are with disabilities that they manage to garden. So you've just got to make it work for you. So there's a way around it, but you do need a bit of help to set yourself up, potting benches at the right height. And yeah, so it was a real eye opener, actually, real eye opener. Yeah. And I mean, there's an awful lot of talk in the past few years about gardening for health, Mm. about social prescribing and green prescribing. And it's definitely picking up speed. I would say we've always talked about it in the gardening industry. We've always known, just everyone knows that being out in nature is good for you. We feel it ourselves. But to have, I guess, the sort of scientific backing of that and maybe the NHS coming on board in a little bit more than lip service to it. How do you see this idea of gardening for health 
you know, uh, becoming more part of our lives in the future. I think it is it's shocking that some people haven't found it. You know, I know people that have a garden that don't even step into it. And I think that's criminal. So you need to get out there. And it's lovely to do things like we've got Pilates at the garden sometimes. People using gardens in a very different way since COVID. And I also think that the open garden is incredibly valuable to people because not everyone has a garden and public parks. Uh, I love a park, obviously, having worked in one. They're a whole world in, within themselves. So I think we've just got to keep telling people how good it is for them and changing up what what they can do in the space. They don't have to actually physically garden to make themselves feel good. It doesn't interest some people, but some people might want to paint in the garden or just lie on the lawn. You know, there's loads of things you can do outside, eat outside, sleep outside. I actually thought the other day it was so hot, I thought I'm going to sleep outside tonight. I didn't, but I still think I, you know, I have done in the past. And why not? So, yeah, get out there is the answer. So, Tamsin, so far you've told me that your dream garden is partly inspired by Van Garden in Surrey with its gorgeous atmosphere and the sense of love and care that went into it, that well-worn sense of character, that it would be set in Corfu of the 1930s, you know, the girls from the, the yeah. TV show with that gorgeous Greek sunshine and the beach, that it would have the great porch of Great Dixter with pots all around it at the front, changing displays of gorgeous foliage and flowers. And you would have a tea party with Vita Sackville-West from Sissinghurst and Arthur Parkinson to enjoy the garden with. And Arthur would, in some ways, be your sort of stylist gardener to sort of make it look the way you want it to look, which is a bit wilder than what you yourself might do because, well, you wouldn't have to really look after it if it was your dream garden. Yeah. And you would have lots of succulents like aeoniums in the beds as well for that lovely look. But, you know, not in your Herefordshire climate. You can't do that in real life, but you'd have that in your fantasy. And you'd have a day bed and an outdoor shower. Don't I sound fabulous in that world? (laughs) Sounds like a very nice garden. But if there was something that you would never allow through the garden gate, that you would say, that is not coming into my dream garden. In fact, I don't want that in any garden of mine now anyway. What would it be? What would you say no to? Now, this is a difficult one because I actually think if it's your garden, you can do what the hell you like. So I'm not saying that no one should have this because some people might love this. But I had overload of blue fencing and blue glazed pots working on magazines sort of in the 90s, early 2000s. They were everywhere, weren't they? And I just think, no, I'm done with it. Absolutely done with it. So no blue, any colour. I love blue, but not in the garden. So I know the blue glazed plots you're talking about. I actually still have one myself. I've probably got um, one yeah. lurking. And But no blue painted fences, blue anything. No. Just you're allergic to it now. You no, just done them. it. Yeah. Every show garden, you know, it, they were just, it was just everywhere, wasn't it? B&Q obviously is very well out of that trend, I'm sure. I wonder what the shade of blue was. Gosh, periwinkle blue yeah it was dark it was almost it's the blue i'm wearing yes Steph. you've got a lovely you blue shirt on it is today almost yes. this blue so i don't dislike it but i don't want it in the garden i remember that and now yes. next time you come over i'm making sure that i've absolutely no blue on show anywhere yeah <laughs> i've moved on to yellow i have yellow stuff on my lovely. garden so if you had to give me three last quick fire round things that you would have to have in your dream fantasy garden what would they be 
Okay, easy, a lawn, love a lawn, and I love walking barefoot in the summer through the garden. So it could be some smooth decking or some lovely paving. Just being able to walk out without getting gravel between your toes would be an essential. A sink and a potting bench outside, like a really good setup so you didn't have to bring mud in. You could wash your veg out there and get rid of all your mucky fingers out there. That would be just wonderful. And lastly, oh, I know a view. Got to have a view. I want to be private. Not much to ask, is it? To be private, but have a view. So just maybe a few rolling hills and then the ocean. I see. Perfect. Mm. That was Tamsin Westhorpe of Stocktonbury Gardens, whose book Grasping the Nettle is out now. Thank you for listening to Talking Gardens, brought to you by the team behind Gardens Illustrated magazine. You can find lots more gardening inspiration and subscribe on our website, gardensillustrated.com. See you next time.